This podcast was produced by members of the Pinsker Centre Policy Fellowship 2020-2021. The Pinsker Centre is a think tank which focuses on global foreign policy while promoting freedom of speech and fighting intolerance. If you'd be interested in learning more about our work, follow the Pinsker Centre on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Applications for the 2021-2022 Fellowship Programme will open in the spring. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dan Mikhailov. I'm an undergraduate student at London School of Economics, and I'm joined today by Daniel Sachs and Lily Naomi Zempleni to discuss the issue of Israel and Palestine and how it has unraveled, specifically on UK university campuses. As we all know, been widespread protests and many accusations of uh, unfair treatment of certain of pro-Israeli societies on university campuses across the UK. And I was wondering what you guys think of it. So I think it's probably worth starting off with a little bit of anecdotal experience. So as a Jewish student who wears a skull cap very visibly, and it impacts a little bit more because there's no, you know, it's very obvious that I'm Jewish and people can see it quite clearly. So just to kind of add in a little bit of anecdotes, recently there was a, a protest against Israel um, in support of the Palestinians on our campus. A heavy, heavy police presence. And we happened to walk nearby it you know, without even realising. And we weren't in it. We were just on the other side of the road. But, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit concerning. And there were quite a few police officers there. And some of the police officers came over to us and said to us, are we OK? Do we need to get onto campus? If we need to get onto campus, that they will then escort us through. And really, I think that's quite scary and indicative of the situation at the moment, that the police actually felt that there was a significant need to escort visibly Jewish students through this. Because uh, as we've seen, the Community Security Trust reported a 500% rise in anti-Semitism in the space of two weeks. It's crazy. It's outrageous. And, you know, the fact that someone like me, a visibly Jewish student, has to be offered that protection is really quite concerning. You know, I'm, I'm all for legitimate political discussion, but it's very, very, very quickly descended into blatant anti-Semitism that's, that's threatening Jewish students, and it's just not acceptable. Yes, and just to add some statistics to show that Daniel's experiences are not unique, but they are really common among the Jewish students at universities, I would like to just share some statistics. So according to the Community Security Trust, uh, over the weeks uh, where there was a conflict in the Middle East, there were 116 anti-Semitic attacks at uh, British university campuses. And over the last couple of years, the community security has, has been reporting increasing numbers of anti-Semitic attacks on campuses and in the UK as well. So in 2018, they recorded a record high number of anti-Semitic attacks in the UK, uh, which means 1,652 attacks in one year, and 27% of these attacks contained fight white or Nazi imaginary. So for what it seems from these statistics is that indeed at British university campuses and in the whole of the UK, there's an increasing program with anti-Semitism and the conflict in the Middle East has worsened this situation. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you guys on that. And although again, as a Jewish student, I was perhaps more fortunate to eschew these situations personally. 
uh, from just kind of some of the research that I'm looking into, for instance, with respect to the National Ed- Education Union, the Union of Teachers, I was very alarmed to find that the NEU sends annual delegations to Gaza, which to me sounded, you know, sounded a bit bizarre because why would a student union organization representing teachers across Britain be interested in fostering some sort of solidarity with a, a move with a movement? I mean, whatever it is, even if those teachers have no connections to Hamas or other terrorist organizations, why would they still be interested in fostering co- cooperation with them when, you know, when those people clearly operate in a very different culture, and very different setting? There is very little to gain from it. And yet they routinely kind of use taxpayer money, I guess, to, uh, to fund uh, such trips. What you're mentioning, Dan, I think is quite indicative of a larger issue, the kind of disproportionate obsession with Israel that we see, you know, not just internationally in stages like the UN, but also domestically in student unions, teachers unions, unions in general. I mean, it's it's been no secret that uh, NUS take a very strong stance for BDS or UCU, University Lecturers Union, uh, one of them, they had previous issues of of anti-Semitism. And it's really not great that it seems to be a consistent thing within the academic framework of the UK. And people really need to do better. And we we really see the flare-up and its spike when something like this happens. So, you know, there's kind of that constant undertone of it being there. But then there's a conflict, something happens, and it really kind of comes out because it's almost accepted as the norm, something that people can do and people get away with. And People need to do better. We really do need to do better. This 500% increase in anti-Semitism, you know, it, it doesn't just come from somewhere, like from out of the blue, magically. There's a build-up to this. It's it's really, it's really quite serious that Jewish people just aren't welcome in these sorts of unions anymore. And we've, we've seen even Jewish actors walking out of actors' unions over this ridiculous obsession. It's not fair. It's not the way it should be, especially on our campuses where we are relying on academic integrity, academic freedom of thought. And really what's going on is just totally opposed to any real, I guess, academic truth. Yes, I agree that we have been witnessing a lot of individuals who indeed were anti-Semitic or made anti-Semitic comments kind of just walking away uh, without any retributions or any any consequences uh, because of what they did. So probably the most famous case of it is uh, one of the NUS presidents, Mania Barbutas governments, who have written a really openly anti-Semitic article. And um, this article was, in, was deemed outright racism by the uh, Westminster Inter-Party Committee. Um, so even politically, there was an agreement, but what she said was anti-Semitic. And uh, nevertheless, she could uh, carry on as NUS president, and she didn't have to resign. Barely a couple of universities disappeared from the NUS, so, so really nothing happened. And institutionally, I would say that in NUS, anti-Semitism remained in, and, and although there were some attempts later on by the next president, Shakira Martin, to visit Auschwitz and to open up a little bit to Jewish students. When I was uh, an NUS delegate in 2019, it was still really problematic, and, and anti-Semitic attacks were, were really openly happening at NUS, and really institutionally, NUS hasn't changed, and they still get away with anti-Semitism.
And I find that really concerning. I would say, I think now that we have established that there is a widespread problem, I think the kind of the next question we need to answer is whether this anti-Semitic drive is influenced by a vocal minority or whether these ideas, these this vitriolic hatred towards, towards Jews and uh, the state of Israel is actually a widespread phenomenon. I personally think that what we are seeing right now is the act fundamentally resides in the actions of a loud minority. I mean, if you look at uh, student unions nationwide, the majority of them record approval ratings of below 50%. And the amount of people who actually turn up to vote in student union elections or student union uh, plebiscites is meager. I mean, if I could give you an example from my own university, the London School of Economics, we introduced uh, something called the beef ban a couple of years ago, which was a motion to prohibit selling beef products on campus shops and and canteens. And the voter turnout was less than 4% of the entire uh, LSE population at the time. In my personal opinion, this this anti-Semitic drive is is just is a result of unions being hijacked by a small minority that is not very representative of the majority, but which uses this mechanism to, I guess, amplify their voices. Uh, yes, I agree. I mean, even if you look at the NUS, only I think in Cambridge, only twelve percent of the eligible uh, students uh, voted on the NUS election. So yes, uh, there is a little interest in this. Uh, student unions and NUS and that sort of thing. But what I find really concerning is that even though it is a minority of the students, they really encourage each, each other. So what I witnessed in NUS was really, there were like a couple of students who, who were really critical of Israel and they attacked their Jewish students. But pretty soon they could turn the entire student body against the Jewish student. So even those students who were not really interesting in, in questions concerning the Middle East or they were not really concerned about the Jewish students, they could really easily turn against the student because of this few uh, loud uh, voices. So this is what I find concerning that although it is only a minority, they can convince really easily a large amount of students to do things what they would otherwise not do. And, and I find that really concerning how easily these ideas can spread. Yeah, I, th- I think this idea of, I guess, the minority versus the majority is, is quite an important question to talk about. Um, I mean, back in January, the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism did, did a survey and they, they released some quite concerning statistics. So one of the things that they said was that 55% of British adults harbour no anti-Jewish views at all. And then a third have between one and three anti-Semitic beliefs and 12% have entrenched anti-Jewish values. So that, that's crazy that 45% of the British adult population have either some entrenched anti-Semitic beliefs or genuine anti-Jewish sentiment. So we, we do talk about minority being the anti-Semitic ones here, but 45%, okay, technically it's a minority, but it's a pretty large one, especially compared to 55%. When we see the rise of anti-Semitism that's coming from the far left and how university campuses tend to be a hotbed for the far left, it's really not surprising that the effects of this are really being felt on university campuses. And really, we kind of have to look at it and ask ourselves, is what's happening on university campuses right now representative of what's going on in wider society? And it's possible that it is. 
And this is something very, very, very concerning, especially considering that the people leaving university are the people that are going to be taking over government positions, uh, directorships in large companies. And if we're allowing this anti-Semitism to foster a university, it just eventually gets out of hand. So whilst now we're only at 45% of the adult population, you know, in five years' time, it could be 55% and keep climbing. It's a concerning statistic that I think it's a little bit more than a minority that can just be ignored. Absolutely. I think this is a very valid point that you've raised, Dan. That being said, I think, as you mentioned in your own statistics, it was only, I think, a 12% that were kind of staunchly anti-Semitic and 33% held one or two anti-Semitic views. I think what we're seeing right now is that those 12% are efficiently using their platforms to bring the other 33% onto their side and push them further. Because I think that this 33% is essentially up for grabs. Some people may have uh, some anti-Semitic views, again, because it depends how you define what is anti-Semitic, but they may be perfectly neutral or indifferent to the question of Israel and Palestine at the same time. And I think that we're seeing right now is exactly the the 12% hijacking institutions and trying to convert the other 33 with in part thanks to kind of with the aid of the mass media in part with the aid of with the aid of social media and increase their mandate i would say i think a very good example of that if i could quickly refer to it uh, is i don't think any of you have watched it but in 1933 a german director hans steinhoff released a film it was a propaganda film nazi germany called uh our flag leads forward, leads us forward. It's about a young boy whose dad was a communist, but his boy joined the, the Nazi party. And uh, what the film was basically illustrating how easy it was for people to be converted from one side to the other, and how communists became Nazis or anybody. So, and I think that we're seeing a very similar phenomenon with people of uh, liberal conviction, of uh, some people of conservative conviction, some people of mildly social democratic conviction being converted to the far left induced hatred of Israel. Yes, I agree, but I think it's it's more than just converting people from from one belief to another. It is also about how how accustomed people are to anti-Semitic attacks and how normally or abnormally they take when they see an anti-Semitic attack. Because what I have seen in the UK is that when there were some protests against Israel during the conflict in the UK, they were using heavily anti-Semitic imagery, but it wasn't even news in the UK. So somehow I, what I see is that people are getting used to the fact that there are anti-Semitic attacks and they don't think that it's news, they don't think that they should do anything against it. So it's not just people who change their views, but it's also how, it's also if people get used to these things, even if they disagree with them and they, if, if they get used to these things and they don't feel the urge to do something against them. So I also find this concerning. This is one of the key things to point out allowing people to get desensitized as to what actually is anti-Semitic really is going to be one of the big, big, big issues within the next decade. And I, I know we've mentioned about it really being a minority, but if, if we don't really stamp it out with a very kind of hard iron fist and say, this isn't acceptable, people who don't hold any of these views are eventually going to start aligning with them, thinking, okay, well, this is what people are saying. This might be more right. And we need this kind of education, the, fa the fact that what's going on at the moment is it's clearly having a snowball effect. It's something we really have to, to sort out pretty much now and immediately. Uh, otherwise, as, as I said earlier, and as we've all said, 
that minority probably will end up increasing. And it's just something that I, I really think is quite concerning. And it probably leads us on to a very good question as to what really can be done to mitigate the anti-Semitism that is spewing out on campus, not necessarily just as a result of the Israel-Palestine conflict, but that is mainly being driven, where the increase is being driven by the conflict and how we can really solve this. To be fair, I think a lot of the problem, again, is lies with Israel. Israel has been extremely poor at information warfare, admittedly. You know, we don't have, like, there is, like just as there is, for instance, Al Jazeera, which kind of spreads all the Qatari propaganda, or there is a CGTN for China, or RT for Russia, USA Today for the United States. Israel doesn't have its own news network that would be capable of transmitting its understanding of the world, its interpretation of the past and the present and the future, and uh, educating people in a very accessible, digestible way about about the Israeli state, its strengths, its weaknesses, its enormous accomplishments. Such an organization doesn't exist, admittedly. I think another problem, again, as you saw, for instance, with the backlash caused by the widespread adoption of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism, is that more often than not, people are forgetting the Second World War entirely. And I think our society is, again, partly to blame for it. Because in our culture, it's oh, in Britain, the First World War tends to get all the attention, really, and the Second World War is barely even discussed. If anything, if the only time you discuss you discuss it, or the ordinary person would find out about it, would be by watching History Channel about some Nazi tanks or D-Day, rather than about the fundamental struggle between Nazi Germany and the Allies, the Soviet Union, United States, and Britain, and their struggle for existence as opposed to for democracy. It was a bigger conflict and there was a bigger defense of some greater values. And I think people are very much forgetting what, what was at stake back then and what the Holocaust has produced. And therefore, they're not necessarily paying as much attention to hating each other and trying to dehumanize one another as they should. Yeah, exceptionally good point uh, that I that I think really needs internalizing quite a bit until we kind of get this level of of mutual respect and stop dehumanizing each side. It really does. It, well, it's really inevitable that we kind of end up in problematic territory, uh, whether it be devaluing one human life over another. It is just really going to be a bit of a snowball effect. Like we have these people at the moment on campus who are campaigning for for Hamas, it's like, okay, you're campaigning for a terror organization whose principal aim is killing civilians. There's clear that there's no, there's no value of human life if that's what you want. And this is really probably something that we, we really need to get better at targeting, instilling within people, I guess, a genuine respect for other humans, ensuring that we don't descend into this animalistic, uncivil society where anything is okay. Yes, probably just to add on to that, that then you mentioned that maybe Israel having a more a media channel, which is internationally listened to, that could help. That could be one solution. But I think what's really important, and this is what Dania was also saying, that the solution should come domestically as well. So the UK shouldn't just rely on Israel trying to help Jews or like raise awareness about anti-Semitism abroad, but it is really the UK who should do something about anti-Semitism domestically because it is spreading here, it is causing trouble here, it is causing trouble in the Labour Party here, it 
it is causing trouble in the NUS here, it is endangering Jewish students on campuses in the UK. So the UK government is supposed to, to take a more active uh, role in uh, tackling anti-Semitism. And yeah, this uh, kind of misinformation being spread as well, just to, to add on to, as well as uh, the UK needing to kind of take an active role in this, um, I think that, that active role really comes about in terms of media and social media legislation. At the moment, we have situations where, okay, Twitter banned Donald Trump after inciting violence, but they still haven't banned Ayatollah Khomeini for, you know, inciting violence against Israel. I, there seems to be quite the double standard here. And when you're seeing people like that active on Twitter, and you see that Twitter are allowing it to go ahead, it's understandable that this misinformation spreads so easily. A country, sorry, that are campaigning for the destruction of an entire group of people and an entire sovereign nation is not the kind of people we want on our social media. And when anybody can have their own truth in a, I guess, a freedom of truth society, it has to be very, very carefully monitored to decide what is fact and what is fiction. And Twitter have started doing this with with the likes of labelling certain things with fake news, especially over COVID, where anything that's mentioning the coronavirus, they send you to legitimate sources like the NHS to check things out. And until we get government crackdowns on social media and and the media at large and ensure that they are reporting accurately and that they're not allowing lies to spread, I think really all the UK government can do is just put out small fires here and there. It's all campaigners can do. Until you actually stop the source of the fire, which is the media and social media, from allowing them to spread, you're just fighting You're fighting a losing battle. You may win one battle, but you're going to lose the war inevitably. And th- this really, I think, is, is what's going to be the, the biggest challenge coming up, having to legislate social media and media to ensure that lies aren't being spread, that anti-Semitism is spotted more easily, and that there's some consistent and coherent way of spotting what is racist, what is true, what is fake. I mean, we even have issues with AP and uh, Al Jazeera, whose building was um, hit in a targeted airstrike by the Israelis in Gaza. So one of the big accusations that came from there was that Hamas, uh, Hamas's military wing, a prescribed terror organization by pretty much the entire world, was operating their military intelligence from the same building, not to mention rockets being fired from the streets and these news agencies seeing rockets being transported and stored in civilian populated areas. So we have the media who are very clearly seeing this. They are allowing this to happen right under their noses and they're not reporting about it. This isn't free press. This is just selective press. It's everything we stand against. You know, most Western democratic societies are very, very, very full free press. It's one of the pillars of democracy. Yet, we're actively encouraging the exact opposite. And until the government cracks down on this and, you know, gives sanctions to the likes of Al Jazeera for allowing this kind of thing to happen, it's just going to keep going. And really, it needs it needs that government level intervention to sort out the media and social media before we can even hope to sort out this misinformation being spread and try and mitigate uh, a society of racists, which seems to be the direction we're heading in.